Biden, I'm depressed. I can't believe the big Nick's world is coming to an end. You're going to be kidding me, man. It's coming to an end? Yes, he's traveled the globe and has been saving the best for last. Charlotte, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia. We love live music, don't we, folks? I've been telling Pebble all about Kid Rock. Who in the hell is Pebble? Ba, with the ba, da bang, da dang, diggy, 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 said the boogie, said up, jump the boogie. All right. Hey, Trump, do you remember Jim Hendrick? That fella play guitar behind his head. Oh, Big Nick played guitar behind head to Biden. Are you kidding me? Holy hell. Days and days will open in Atlanta. It will truly be one for the books. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. All right, we're welcoming everybody. How in the hell are you? It is June 8th. 2023, it is the Stone on Air podcast, the exact opposite of last week. I'm getting started very, very, very late on a Wednesday night. Nick Lutzko's tour ends this weekend in Atlanta. I was going to go, and then those plans fell through, which is probably better anyway, as Bonnaroo is right around the corner. Thanks for finding the show. Yeah, just a little while ago, earlier today, I decided I was not going to make the trip to a venue I don't think I've been to yet. It's called West Terminal or Terminal West, something like that. And I say I'm not sure. I think I haven't because I've been to a new venue in Atlanta to see Ween last year, and I don't remember what it was called. And Maybe it was that place, but turns out it's not going to work out, and I've got way, way... Too much to do over the course of the next uh, half week or so to get ready for yet another weekend on the farm, and I am very, very excited about that. Likely we'll take the podcast off next week. I'm not entirely sure about that yet. I will let this weekend and end early next week unfold. If something really cool and interesting pops up, maybe I'll cram one in. But if not, then I might take it off because Bonnaroo week is always a very, very busy week. Speaking of which, I'll lay out the show for you here right now. In the second segment of the show, I'll do a review, I guess you could call it, of uh, Riverbend and a a preview of Bonnaroo. I won't spend a lot of time on it. It's not going to be a big, long-winded Bonnaroo show, none of that. Uh, So you don't have to worry about that if that's not your thing. But I will uh, touch on some of the uh, highlights for the weekend and uh, definitely a look back at a fun, fun weekend at Riverbend. And in the final segment of the show, joining me via phone will be the production manager of Riverbend, pretty much in charge of everything that involves stages and lighting and video and sound for all things Bonnaroo, Justin Casey is my guest in the third segment and uh, primarily talking about the um, the weather and the lightning and the evacuation and the weather delay and all that that happened on Sunday. So I'll save all my thoughts for the last two-thirds of the show uh, on that. I will get you four pieces of audio here in just a little bit, about 10 minutes or so from right now, because I ran into two of these. They're called Stitches on TikTok. I'll uh, lay it out and set it up a little bit more here in a few minutes. So two worst ideas, the realest thing and the coolest thing, all coming up here in just a few minutes. So I got this, pretty excited about it. And when I got it, then I got almost slightly, I don't know if the right word is nervous. I don't think that's the right word. But I I, I guess I'm still going to do it. I got approved for the Chattanooga Police Department ride-along program. I've talked about this over the last couple of years. I've applied two years in a row. Didn't hear one word back from them last year. This year, I got an application immediately, filled it out, and within, is it only been about a week? Two at the very most. I got an email, and check this out. So here's the email. And it's not, um, it's just, it, it's, I, I, it doesn't look like a robo-email. It says, 
your application has been approved for the ride-along uh, pro, uh, program with the Chattanooga Police Department. Please give me a date you wish to ride. Also, the shift times are, and here, here's why I guess I'm not as excited as I was. First shift is 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Second shift is 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. And then third shift is from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. You are required to ride the full shift unless the officer that you ride with and his or her command staff approve otherwise. If you would like to discuss anything, feel free to give me a call. If not, just give me your preferred date and time, and I will get you scheduled and send you a confirmation email. Now, it says, give me a call. First of all, it doesn't say who me is. I guess it does say here in the uh, email uh, subject line or the the from you know sender is Brenda Wilson, CPD recruiting at Chattanooga.gov. It does not give a phone number to give her a call. And I guess I just pick any day that I want. And then I have to ride for these long periods of time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I just figured it was going to be for like three hours or something like that. Or, you know, maybe five hours at the most. But I'm certainly not going to go in at 7 a.m. And I'm sure as hell not going to do 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., even though that might be where the most action is. So I guess I will do the second shift, which is 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. And I guess I'll just pick a Saturday because I can't do it during the week. It, it doesn't say there's any constraints as far as timing. It could, the way it's worded, it could basically be any day that I want it to be. So I will uh, I'll email her back in the next day or two and then let you know how that goes uh, from there. Uh, I've been meaning to complain about this here in Eastridge, where I live over here in South Seminole. The trash pickup here, and I've always been a big proponent and supporter of the city services of Eastridge. This place gets a bad rap. It is, it's got pretty good government. It's got low taxes. Well, as good a government as you could possibly hope for, especially in small town kind of stuff. And uh, recycle pickup, I'm not convinced that most of those recyclables actually get recycled, but at least it's not a one-way ticket to the landfill. At least there's some middlemen in there somewhere. And um, while I would probably bet most of it does go to the landfill, um, at least they offer that service and it makes me feel at least like I'm doing something good. But the garbage man, men, person, has just been skipping my house. Skipping it. And it's been happening for really going on a couple of years now. And I don't have enough garbage for weekly garbage pickup. I don't put it out every week. and But I put it out enough. So it's not like they're getting confused. Now, the neighbors, Little Mexico next door, now I know that's not very kind or PC to say, but Little Mexico next door, fine enough people, um, haven't recycled a thing in their life and have two garbage cans overflowing with crap every single week. And it looks like theirs gets picked up every time. Me right next door, they're just, just skipping. And I'm about ready to start putting a damn sign that says, stop skipping my goddamn garbage pickup, please. And so I emailed the city of East Ridge today, and I will read you that email here. It says, hello, just a quick note to let you know that trash pickup at my home is being regularly skipped. This has been somewhat happening for years, but even more so the last year or so. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. My neighbors at 1106 South Seminole put out two full cans every week, and it seems to get picked up every time. But mine, just sometimes. Please ask the, the department to stop skipping my trash day. If they continue to skip me, I will take it to social media just for fun. I have 20 years of local media experience. I just want my garbage picked up. Please and thank you. And now I kind of don't want them to. So I can have some fun with it on social. But I don't mean it. I actually do. Just pick up the garbage, please. City of East Ridge. 
Just a few things here to run through. Um, the, the, the Pops on the River has been canceled. People were kind of up in arms on this and social the last couple of days. Uh, the headline in the Chattanooga Times Free Press from Wednesday, skyrocketing costs are uh, having many municipalities across the country and certainly here in the southeast rethinking their budgets, and it's not happening. The big, huge fireworks show with, I, I believe, the symphony plays, and I don't know, I've been one time. It's an absolute nightmare. Nightmare. Nowhere to park. Impossible to get around. Downtown, you think Riverbend back in the day when, you know, nine-county radius showed up was bad. This is uh, a, a welcome cancellation in, in, in my world, but a lot of people are not happy about it, and they're going to do a smaller, scaled-down thing at Miller uh, Miller Park. Looks like they've been spending around $50,000 a year, the city has, of Chattanooga on this. Uh, surrounding cities and how much money they spend on 4th of July, 45000 in Athens. Collegedale, 36000 Saudi Daisy, just under 15000 Dalton, Georgia, spends $33,000 on their 4th of July celebrations. Catoosa County, uh, twenty five grand, And Cleveland at five grand. So um, you'll still get your Collegedale fix if that's what you needed. They have a, it's actually in college, it's 36000 for the fireworks and 25000 for entertainment. I don't know where that $25,000 is going for the entertainment, but anyway, plenty of places to get your damn fireworks. But of course, somebody all pissed off on a letter to the editor from Chattanooga uh, com. City should prioritize pops on the river. The city of Chattanooga can spend $74,000 to clean up a homeless camp under Veterans Bridge. And they can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on new woke departments. But they can only afford to chip in $50,000 for the long-running and marquee 4th of July celebration in our area. Chattanooga is also planning on cutting its funding for 4th of July event next year in half in order to fund a Juneteenth celebration. Mayor Kelly does not prioritize the celebration of, of the United States of America, which should celebrate all Americans in our history. This is a travesty, signed Ed Fickley, that reads so much of the some of my best friends are black type super white guys. Oh, they're going to take away from the 4th of July for Juneteenth. That's an outrage. Get out of here. Shut up. You just want to watch stuff blow up and drink light beers all you want. Go away. And um, real quick here, I don't have a lot of time for it. Uh, the county budget has been um, at least presented. It has not been voted on yet by the commission. Weston Womp, up to a billion almost dollars. Uh, $995 million, That's up from $881 million. That's a 12% increase from last year. Given $100 million more to county schools. He is obsessed with this Kirkman vocational school that used to be around, what was that, in the 90s? In the 80s and 90s, maybe even into the 2000s. He says he has plans for a Kirkman-like vocational school at the former Golden Gateway building on the west side. I am not familiar with the Golden Gateway building, but uh, okay, good for him. Uh, Humane Society gets a bump in money. And then it just goes through the list. I won't bore you with all of it. It's there for the uh, viewing and reading if you want it online. Uh, I did find it weird. It's just got a whole bunch of the you know the itemized things here and how much. And then it says this one line is for Chamber of Commerce Economic Development, six hundred dollars. <laughs> six hundred dollars. This is a nearly one billion dollar county budget, and there's a line item. For Chamber of Commerce Economic Development for 600 bucks. Okay, thanks. Appreciate you guys covering that. Uh, the county commission has a final say-so on the budget. In the past, former Mayor Jim Coppinger conducted several annual budget sessions at the county's McDaniel building. Uh, the new mayor, Womp, asshole Weston Womp, I should say, uh, opted for meetings separately with each commissioner to go over the budget. Then he'll be making a public presentation to the commission as a whole. Kind of sounds like that's a little bit of a caucus that he's put the, putting together one-on-one -on -one to make sure he uh, has the votes to get this thing through. I don't see anything egregious or anything wrong with that. I just thought it was strange that a line item of a billion-dollar budget 
was for $600. And uh, what else? Anything else? Blue Light continues to have a mess over there. Uh, speaking of assholes, Brian Joyce, they've had their beer permit pulled once again. All Things Groovy turned 24 years old. I cannot believe that place has been around that long. I still love me some All Things Groovy. I haven't been there in quite some time, but I will never grow out of a uh, a hippy-dippy head shop at any time. So that is very cool that that has been around for nearly a quarter of a century. And that pretty much covers just about everything for now. So let's jump into this. Two worst ideas to start. So on TikTok, the stitch is you let whatever it is you want to respond to you play just a little bit of it so the subject matter is understood and then the person then puts their clip on top of that to either agree with it or defend it or um, to hate on it, whatever the case might be. Well, this is certainly hating on it. This is some, I guess it's a comedian, I didn't recognize her, talking about how terrible Gen Z is and then the, this is somebody stitching it as She's on the phone seemingly talking to a boomer about how to save a PDF. This is today's first worst idea. Z doesn't know how to write a check. They don't know how to address an envelope. Yeah, so just click file, save as, and then you just select PDF. Save as PDF, yeah. File. It's in the, it's in the top left corner. No, what do you mean nothing showing up? Is your computer on? Okay, so turn it on. <laughs> okay, okay, boomer. So tur- first of all, is the computer turned on? Um, here's another one, another stitch. Today's second worst idea. Z doesn't know how to write a check. They don't know how to address an envelope. They don't know how to read cursive. We took cursive out of the curriculum, and none of these kids know how to read or write cursive anymore. What are the fucking odds? You know what else Gen Z can't do? Buy a house because you boomers fucked up the economy so bad. But yeah, let's keep going. All I'm saying is that Gen Z takes over the world, it's going to be pretty easy to get it back. You guys are going to take the world back with what, 100 apps open on your phone from a nursing home because none of your children talk to you? Fuck you, Linda. (laughs) So great. I love... The uh, generational wars, they're so much fun, and I love being part of what I consider the best generation, Generation X that just doesn't give a damn about any of this nonsense. You guys can all go fight it out in the corner on social media for all we care. This is today's realest thing. It's very recognizable to me. Uh, Judgmental assholes on Instagram about other people's vacations and uh, hate-liking is what some people call it. It's today's realest thing. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Does nobody else work? How is everybody affording all of these trips? How much PTO do these people have? I'm trying to figure out what everybody does for a living. I want that job. Who's watching their dogs? Aren't they just in Bora Bora? Don't these people have families? Don't these people have homes? You might even live there now. That's what I want to be doing. I know we just got back from Mexico, but how is everybody else traveling? Gosh, how is everybody in Italy right now. Oh, must be nice. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, the classic. Oh well, it, it must be nice. Yeah, actually, it is nice. It's nice to take a vacation. Thank you very much. And this is today's coolest thing. It is Butch Vig talking about uh, the uh, recording of Nirvana's "Nevermind." He was the producer of that record and really made that iconic album what it was. Yes, the music was great, but he is the one who taught Kurt Cobain into making it as great as it was. This is today's coolest thing. First, Kurt said he wanted to record the band Oh Naturel. Let's just record it live. I'll set up in a vocal booth. Let's keep it all live. And I said, it's just going to sound like a live recording. You know, when you go into the studio, you use the studio and the tools available to make an album sound larger than life, to make it sound widescreen. You do that by adding harmonies and doubling vocals and doubling guitars and compression and EQ and effects and things like that. And he's like, oh, you know, whatever. It, but but the first day when I asked him to double track his vocal, he said, I don't, I don't really want to do that. I, I just think it's fake. And I said, well, John Lennon did it on pretty much everything he sang. And, and then there's just a pause. And then Kurt said, okay, let's do it. Without the multi-tracking that went into making that record, it would not have sounded the way that it did. And I don't know. It's fair to say, I think, that it might not have been the culturally 
important and iconic record that it ended up being. Butch Vig is the main reason why that happened. He is uh, the drummer of the band Garbage, who I'll be seeing along with Noel Gallagher later this month as hashtag my other month here in June continues. Coming up next, I will take a look back at Riverbend 2023 and a look forward to Bonnaroo next week as we close out the open segment with Nirvana's in bloom. Hang tight. I'll be right back. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stone on air. A little bit of rain won't stop us, but lightning absolutely will. And we saw that all of these storms moving through Sunday had lightning, and we were very aware of that. So, you know, once it got to 20 miles out, we called a um, code orange that basically delays everything um, at that point, and we're setting up to evacuate the site. Once we are uh, within the 10-mile radius of the site, we immediately start evacuations. No one wants to evacuate when it's sunny, but also no one's paying attention to what's headed towards them. So we discuss it with the city. We make sure that everyone's cool and everyone knows what's going on. And then the city and us decide, okay, cool, we're ready to go to orange, we're ready to go to red. Once we go to red, Access did a great job. Access Security did a great job of evacuating everyone safely, calmly, and getting them out of the way of harm when the storm actually got there. They did that in about 15 minutes, which is very impressive for a music festival like this. And just like that, we're back. Coin once again. That was Justin Casey. Oh, how magical. We haven't even talked to him yet. He's already on the show. Uh, Coin was fabulous. Absolutely fantastic. So much of the festival was great. Every bit of it, really. Uh, Only the Sunday just... I just, I was in a rotten ass mood. Um, again, the, the final segment of the show, I'll, I'll talk to Justin about it more specifically, but I, I was in a really foul mood Sunday because I had deja vu to the Moon River uh, situation last year. And last year, I was on that Sunday, I was like on all socials, like, it's all good, man. And I had some people on the ground inside that I got bad information from, or they just didn't really know. And they were saying, that it looks like everything's good. We're going to, you know, everything's a go here soon. We're pretty sure. And so I relayed that information through social. And I guess you could say I was a little reckless with it without knowing for sure what I was talking about. And it turns out my information was bad and the whole thing got canceled. And I was saying all day long, it's not going to. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to get in there. We're going to have a day of music. Just hang tight. It's all good, and I was wrong. And so on this day, I was the opposite of that. I was like, this sucks. Everything's horrible. This whole day is going to hell. One of the best days of the weekend is is getting completely screwed, and the weather doesn't even look that bad. When in the end, the weather actually was pretty bad, I guess, I think. I don't know. So anyway, more from Justin coming up here in about uh, 15, 16 minutes or so from right now. Quick, we'll just take a look back at the weekend. I'll start on Friday. And I did get down there early. I got lucky at work. Was able to get down there by 6 o'clock to see Stephen Wilson Jr. on the Chevy stage. And I do want to at least somewhat apologize for trashing the Chevy stage uh, because it was not the one that I thought it was. They replaced it with more of what would be kind of an actual stage. Still isn't great, but it wasn't that trailer thing that they use for Riverfront Nights. So I was happy about that. So, I mean, I'm... You know, kudos there, but it's still kind of a crummy stage. And that is a really, really tough time to open a a festival in a blazing hot 90 degree Friday afternoon evening at six o'clock. That's just a that's a tough place to be. And Stephen Wilson Jr. did as good a job as you could possibly do. And I was able to get there for a majority of the show. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. So that started things off. At that exact same time, Adrian Blue and Jerry Harrison were doing their set that had a nice crowd. Very, very nice crowd. And it was it was very easy to get there and back. I mean, we all know the footprint. I just wasn't sure if I was going to want to do that. 
Turned out that it worked out just fine. I was able to catch a couple of the talking head songs that I knew from Remain in Light or Remaining in Light, whatever the name of that record is. Big response. People loved it. It was uh, it was a big time. I, I'm just sorry. I, I don't like the talking heads. Don't care anything about them. But most people, by all accounts, had a fabulous time. Um, so then that shifts to the evening time. It's cooling down just a touch. And 8 o'clock rolls around. See, hold on. Jump ahead of myself. Then we went to Amos Lee. Me and a ran, you know, every, most everybody else ran into many people I knew. And I kind of bounced around. And the bass on that stage was unhealthy. It was so booming and loud. And there was even talk about it on the stage like, uh, what's wrong? You know, they were trying to fix it on the fly. And uh, that was a little annoying. But overall, Amos Lee's show is pretty sleepy. And um, he, he did say, he said, um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it's pretty close to this. He's like, well, you know, I know it's uh, it's kind of hot out there and it's a, it's a festival and everybody's kind of down, but um, we're going to have a great time or something like that. And I, I was thinking, dude, who's down? What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Down? Everybody's down? Every, no, everybody's up. Play some music. Like, liven this thing up a little bit. And I think what it was is that he's used to small rooms where everybody knows most all the words to his songs and there are a lot of sing-alongs. And in this festival setting, early and hot out, it looked like people were maybe a little bored. I'm not sure. But the show was fine, except for the bass, which they eventually got fixed. Then Strung Like a Horse, uh, I caught the beginning of. It was fine. Said hello to a million people. I knew all my friends would be there. And then I couldn't I couldn't wait. I had to go to the, to the ultra stage. And I, it was the best decision I made. I got right up in front. I'd say about 10, 15 rows out and watched every lick of the coin show. It was an hour and a half, and this is this band is the king of three-minute bangers. Boom, 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 boom. It's like a machine gun, just one after another. All the top uh, Spotify streams, all the, the, the most downloaded, the most popular songs, what bands should be doing at festivals. I barely even knew who this band was two and a half, three weeks ago. And if they played 15 songs, I knew 13 of them. It was awesome. The sound was great. It was loud. It was so good, it almost sounded like he was lip syncing. I, If someone told me he was, I guess I would probably not be all that shocked. I'm not saying that. I don't think that it's that's true. But it did sound borderline immaculate at much of the time. So that was a fun day. Wrap things up. Come back the next day. The news gets out. I saw early on Twitter, I'm not saying I broke it, quote-unquote, but I did have five shares of, of uh, my Facebook post, which I rarely get any shares, that uh, Jason Isbell had posted that he will be in Chattanooga to play with Amanda Shires at 4 o'clock. And I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll go. Well, it was fine. I mean, really, it was just as boring as I figured it would be. I don't like her any more or less than I did going into it. I like her or dislike her the exact same amount, but it was very cool to watch uh, Isabel play some guitar. Now, we move a little further into the day on Saturday. Big boy, that hour evaporated into thin air. Now, I was trying to help uh, somebody get in. I had an extra band for somebody, and I had to go to the gate to pass it off, and so I missed some of it. I didn't care because I don't care about uh, Outkast or that music all that much, but by all accounts, everybody seemed to really enjoy it. It did sound good, the little bit that I was over there. I heard so fresh and so clean. Um, uh, that one, uh, the way she moves, I like the way she moves. Right, that's one of them. That sounded fine. Everybody was very excited about that. So good for them, good for everybody. So after that, me and two or three others decided to stake our real estate right in front of the soundstage, about, I don't know, 20 feet in front of the soundstage, about the same spot I was at for Coin the night before. I wasn't sure how that sound would travel. So when I was coordinating with my friends who we were there to see specifically Goose and to see the entire show, 
I said, this is where I was, and the sound was great. So let's let's try to be roughly in that same spot. And we did. And then so you had to wait it out for an hour. Okay, it's fine. No big deal. Sit around, chit-chat. And then Goose plays, and they come on right at 7.30 or 7. It was an hour and a half set. All right? It was fine. They started playing. They're jamming. They're jamming. They're jamming. Okay, great. Um, how do I put this nicely? It sucked. It sucked. If you love watching jam bands play never-ending songs that you've never heard of before, when you know many of them, then I guess you enjoyed it just fine. And anybody who didn't know any better, who just went because they were told that this is a big deal, many of them, oh, man, that was so great. That was such a good show. It, it, yeah, okay, fine. No, first of all, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. They played seven songs. Seven songs in 90 minutes. All right. I, I, it, I was already this close. I have my index finger and my thumb about an inch apart right now. I was this close to about to saying just to the world, I'm about to retire from the jam band community completely. Just I'm, I'm over it. I'm this close to over it. And after that goose show, I might now, I might have snapped and I might be done with it. I might be completely done with that scene. Because they played seven songs. Two of them were covers. One was a David Gray cover. He's got a song called Babylon. If you heard it, you'd know it. This other one, I don't know what the hell it was. Why in the hell is Goose playing a David Gray song in a seven-minute, and excuse me, a seven-song, 90-minute festival set? They didn't play any song that anybody who has just a working knowledge of their music at all. It was almost like they just showed up to practice. I'm 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 borderline furious about it. The show sucked. And I will not probably see Goose again because I'm not going to travel for it. I'm definitely not going to travel for it. And I don't see him coming back to town. And if they do, it would be the signal and maybe I'll go. If somebody comps me, I'll definitely go. But that was a terrible first impression. And I was with people who are also were bigger fans than me who they're not going to be this, you know, asshole-ish about it, but they were disappointed as well. And anybody who knew any better was disappointed. The, the thing is, most people didn't know any better, and that's fine. Ignorance is bliss often. The show sucked, and the next night in Kentucky at the Railbird or Rail Yard or Yardbird Fest, whatever the hell that one is, they played three of the top downloaded and streamed songs on all their so on all their streaming platforms. Three of them. Three great ones. Also, again, with two covers. One from the National. Why is Goose playing the National? If I want to see the National, I'll go watch the National. If I want to see David Gray, I'll go see David Gray. You have 90 minutes and you're playing seven seven songs. And you couldn't have saved one of those top streamers for the Chattanooga show. You had to play them all the next night. I'm telling you, hey, that's the jam band world. And if I don't like it, just stop going. That, you know, joke's on me, right? So I, I'm, I think I've retired. I think I have retired from the jam band scene. And especially that juxtaposition from the night before with the three-minute bangers one after another, hitting every song that everybody who's even attempted to listen to the band Coin did and just rocked it hard and 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 gave it a, a million percent, no dicking around, no cover songs. I mean, I love a good cover song from a good band. When you got a full set and you're actually playing a bunch of your songs too, Look at any jam band set, too, that's an, usually a first set or something that's a, an hour to 90 minutes. It's not only seven songs with two covers. Goose, you blew it. You absolutely blew it, Goose. Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. Your name sucks. I already thought that, and I got over it. You're good. I still love the songs that I like. But Goose, man, let me down. Absolutely let me down. And I think I have officially retired from the jam band scene. So annoying. Okay, sorry. Anyway, then Mavis Staples caught some of that on Sunday. But at that point, the weather uh, rumors start uh, coming up. Uh, the Blackberry Smoke Show was, they played 
three songs. I can't remember what they opened up with. Then they played Good One Coming On and Pretty Little Lie, and those are two of their most popular songs, so they were well on their way to playing a festival-style set, just like most good and, and considerate bands do, and then they ran off the stage, and the whole thing shuts down. And, you know, the rest is history, and the rest I'll discuss with Justin coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, later on, was able to catch the 45-minute Claypool show. It was great. It was fantastic. And then I, I watched about 30 minutes of Trombone Shorty, and I left. But I, I just, I was so irritated and in such a foul mood. And if you even look, if you look at my social media, there's a picture or two taken, one in particular by Nathan Gale. He kept, he could tell I was just in a, in a just wretched garbage mood in one of the pictures that's on one of the Facebook wall, I guess. And you just, you can just see, I'm just sitting there just like, ugh, ugh, this. So it was a wonderful weekend. It just had a lot of irritation on that Sunday. And um, more on that here in just a few minutes. Real quickly, uh, Bonnaroo this weekend, I will be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for sure. I might get there on Saturday if I do. Excuse me, on Thursday, I will try to see Diarrhea Planet. Yes, the worst band name in the history of band names. But they actually did get very popular for some time. It's kind of a reunion show of sorts. If I'm there Thursday, I'll try to check it out. Likely isn't going to happen. What's going to happen, though, for sure is on Friday, Matt Mason, which I've been cramming this week. I already know his music pretty well. I interviewed him at Alt 98.7 a few years ago. I'm a big fan. Um, I'm going to be catching him on a small stage at 445 on Friday. And then Portugal Demand at 645 in the evening, Friday on the main stage, the what stage, the greatest sounding stage in the world. I can't wait for that. On Saturday, these are all, these are all guarantees uh, for the most part. Cheryl Crow on the main stage at 4.45 is going to be a wonderful way to start the day. Um, Ty, uh, Tyler, uh, make sure I say it right, Childers, not Childers, Childers, that everybody loves so much. I'm going to give an entire set to this. On the, on the second stage, which stage, at 9.45, I'm going to give Tyler Childers an entire set. It's an hour and 15 minutes, and I will, I will evaluate it as fairly as I can. And then at that night, I mean, I, since I'm not drinking like I normally do, I, I don't know what my nights are going to be like, but my morning jacket, this is the, this is the scheduling conflict uh, puzzlement of all puzzlements here. My morning jacket at 1230 to 2.30 at night, in the, in the middle of the night into the morning, on the second stage, the witch, and then on the this tent, which is just around the corner, corn starts at 1240 Five, twelve forty-five, and goes till two in the morning. What the hell? The my morning jacket thing I get. That's fine. That makes sense. Corn starting at twelve forty-five. Then on Sunday, um, I might be just taking it easy. We'll see. Foo Fighters that night is for sure. The Revivalist maybe. Paramore maybe. Marcus Mumford maybe. I'd like to see the Pixies. Maybe they kind of conflict with Paramore, Foo Fighters, a lot of running around there. By Sunday, I'll be pretty tired. I'm not all that sure. But then here in a big uh, circle with a red circle and a line through it, on the witch stage is Umphreys McGee. I already hated that jam band, and now I hate them even more. There ain't a damn chance I'm going to go see Umphreys Stupid McGee on the witch stage, which I might have done such a thing. You know, five, ten years ago, for sure. All right, so that's uh, that's all. So thanks a lot, Goose. Thanks for nothing. You've officially forced me into jam band retirement. You enjoyed it? That's awesome for you. But I thought it sucked. And the coin show was amazing. And I will talk to Justin Casey, the production manager of all things Riverbend, the stages, the sounds, the video, and in charge of keeping an eye on the weather and evacuations and all that. So the right guy is on the line with me next on the Stone On Air podcast. Coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. 
Yeah, they were aware that this, there were, you know, active weather in the area. So, yeah, so they kind of knew it. And then, you know, we just weren't sure how long that would last. And, you know, after we sat there for a little while, we just, you know, collectively had to figure out what made the most sense for the rest of the music because we still have to do a changeover on that stage. Yeah. So, you know, to be able to give some kind of changeover, to be able to have a set, nobody wants to do a 30-minute set. And it's unfortunate that BlackBerry couldn't finish, but it was just one of those things where, you know, the, the organizers had to make a decision on what is best here and how do we approach the rest of the evening, knowing that we still had to get everybody in. I don't know. Was I being too harsh on Goose? Maybe I was being a little too harsh. One of the biggest disappointments was missing this band. I love, I love Blackberry Smoke. Perfect song, too, for the time. Waiting for the thunder. So we will waste no time as I go to the Stone on Air newsmaker line and bring on uh, production manager of all things, Riverbend. Hey, uh, Justin Casey, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, no problem. Happy to chat with you. Uh, Let's see. So uh, we're going to jump into Sunday at Riverbend. First of all, tell me a little bit about... um, this uh, the helm projects and a lot of the other things you've been working on in the past and and uh, just a, a quick bio a little bit of a resume of some of the some of the production uh, stage work you've done here uh, in the recent past anyway yeah helm projects is a production company we produce music festivals and concerts we specialize in lighting and video systems we also do audio systems as well for festivals i mean then we do festival management as well so myself i do a lot of production manager stuff a lot of production design so we design you know tours as well people like snoop dogg ls dream big gigantic a lot of edm acts as well so and we have an office here here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then for Riverbend, we, uh, I am the production manager, and also we contract out everything on the production side. So we provide all the lighting for all the stages. We line up the stages for everyone. We provide the audio and the video part of the, the festival as well. So just a side note, the EDM aspect of it, that's got to be a completely different monster than just your average rock show. Is that oh, a fair yeah. is that a fair guess? Yeah, definitely. On that side of the world uh, or that side of the genre of music, uh, the production is just as much a part of the show as as the uh, the music itself. So it kind of it's lots of lights, lots of video content. So it's it's really just a you know a visual experience that goes along with the music as well. So they spend a lot of money on on having a big production. So it's fun. You get to be a lot a lot more creative because you're just kind of trying to make an experience rather than you know lighting up the band itself. Sure. Well, while we didn't have any EDM at the festival this weekend, we sure had some acts that are a little different than uh, what normal Riverbend attendees are used to with Goose and Les Claypool and uh, even Coin to that to to a certain extent. Is, is it fair for me as just an a, as a an attendee as a consumer of the product this weekend? that the ultra stage might have had more going on from a, a light standpoint than the Coke stage, or are they pretty comparable? No, I would say they're pretty they're pretty much the same. They're designed very similar. I think the big thing that we saw that as probably a patron you probably noticed was a lot more bands brought in bigger lighting packages. Goose brought in extra gear for the floor. Les Claypool brought, uh, you know, a whole bunch of extra stuff to add to that stage. So the same with Coin as well. Um, you know, other acts like Trombone brought stuff in and some of the others, but it wasn't as big as what uh, a lot of people on the Ultra stage brought. So that was probably the big difference. We have like a, you know, a lighting rig that stays there that we call the house rig. So 
that state, you know, that between the two stages is almost the exact same. Uh, there's a little bit of fixture differences, but it's pretty much the same setup in the air, at least. Well, it looked good. It sounded good. The only thing early on Friday, that base was about to give me a heart attack on the Coke stage, but I think, <laughs> I think that got fixed after a little while. Yeah, definitely. Day one is always fun. Everyone's trying to get their reins and, you know, we brought in bigger PAs this year to make sure that we had better coverage so everyone got the same amount of volume of PA and and that included more subs so I'm sure that they were still tuning those and dialing those sure it was it was during Amos Lee's set and he's so just easy breezy like Sunday morning and then it was boom (laughs) I'm not I'm not I'm not criticizing I'm just saying that was the one thing for me I was like ah I, this might not be good for my health, but it got taken care yeah, of definitely. very quickly. And we have touring acts. The touring acts all have sound engineers, so they, you know, bring their own guys, and a lot of them have, you know, particular things they look for, you know, or or listen to. So, you know, the kick drum is very predominant in a lot of people's uh, mixes. And so that's yeah, that's definitely where that that big heavy bass came from. Sorry, my my mind is wandering a little bit before we get to the weather on Sunday. Do you run into any issues butting heads with other guys' sound and lighting, and where they might want things a certain way, but you're used to the way you do things? Is there is there ever like a, I don't want to say war, but is there ever an issue there? I'm surely there is at some point. Yeah, I would say there's conflicts. I think that scheduling sometimes creates conflicts of you know, artists wanting to bring in their full production and not being able to do it because there's not enough time or, you know, their direct support to the headliner of that night. So there's definitely, you know, compromise. My job is to find the best possible solution for everyone and then also to to give a little bit to everyone of what they want. So when we design the lighting rig and the PA, we kind of know what these touring guys like yeah. and we try to keep with that. There are some standards in brands of speakers they like and brands of consoles. And so we try to get what can cover the most. And then, you know, if an artist wants a different audio console, we'll help them get that. So, you know, there are, there are conflicts, but usually we are able to find solutions for them. Uh, you know, very quickly. Well, let's uh, let's just go ahead and talk about Sunday. Um, I've been to several concerts, several festivals, been doing it all my life. I've been in weather delays, lightning, rainstorms, the whole deal. And um, this one didn't seem to be any more out of the ordinary than others. How does that work with, is it within the municipality that you're in, within the county, within the city, as far as where the weather is? Is there, is there a meteorologist that is assigned? Do you have your own? Are you that guy? Where, where, how is that weather pattern tracked, and when is it decided that, like, now is when we're going to have to start making decisions, or, or how does that process work? So um, there's a pretty extensive team when you do a festival. So, you know, we have uh, News Channel uh, 3 or Local 3 News is what they're called now. But they have a meteorologist that uh, is in direct contact, Clay, who is constantly in communication with me and the festival organizers and the city of Chattanooga Police Department. And, you know, we're all communicating, we're all watching it pretty heavily. You know, that was what I, you know, most of my weekend entails once the shows are up is just pay attention to the weather and make sure that things are looking good. You know, and then the police department have a direct contact with the National Weather Service. So, you know, Sunday we we saw that coming. We, we saw that there were going to be storms popping up here and there. There wasn't a massive front that was just moving through. The problem was they were just popping up, you know, northeast of us and coming down the the Appalachian Mountains. And so it was kind of hard to predict. So we were all had a meeting during the day to talk about, you know, our process and what's going to happen and how we deal with the weather. There was a plan already in place. We have an emergency action plan that's in place weeks and weeks and weeks before the festival. The city is involved in that process to make sure that you know, everyone is safety first is, is everyone's uh, main priority there. So um, the city of, 
uh, Chattanooga Police Department and the city themselves look over this plan. They, you know, have input. We adjust. We do a uh, we do a color system. So green is all clear. No weather is a problem. Um, no immediate uh, weather emergencies are are active. So then we go to a code yellow. This happens when we see a storm that is at least fifty miles out. This causes us to put everyone on alert. So. When that happens, me, the police department, the festival organizers, we all meet up in a central location to just discuss and monitor the weather as we see it getting closer. And then we go into a code orange at 20 miles an hour or 20 miles out from the festival site. So this includes lightning, hail, a little bit of rain we monitor. We're more concerned about the lightning that comes with rain and thunderstorms. Yeah, sure. So a little bit of rain won't stop us, but lightning absolutely will. And we saw that all of these storms moving through Sunday had lightning, and we were very aware of that. So, you know, once it got to 20 miles out, we called a um, code orange that basically delays everything. Um, at that point, and we're setting up to evacuate the site. Once we're uh, within the 10-mile radius of the site, we immediately start evacuations. And we work with the city of, of uh, the police department in the city to just conversate and see how everyone feels about it. No one wants to evacuate when it's sunny, but also no one's paying attention to what's headed towards them. So we discuss it with the city. We make sure that everyone's cool and everyone knows what's going on. And then the city and us decide, okay, cool, we're ready to go to orange. We're ready to go to a red. Once we go to a red, Access did a great job. Access Security did a great job of evacuating everyone safely, calmly, getting people to the uh, permanent structures and getting them out of the way of harm when the storm actually got there. They did that in about 15 minutes, which is very impressive for a music festival like this. So, you know, that was great. We got everyone out of there. Shortly after we cleared the whole site, the rain came and then you know, not long after that was when the lightning was there. And, you know, for us, it's just a matter of putting people in under permanent structures to get them out of the way of the lightning. Um, you know, it's it, it, there's a lot of big stages with lots of metal in the air. So it's very dangerous to be around that stuff with lightning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So that that's our main goal. And, you know, we did really great. And then we just monitored the, the storm with the National Weather Service until it got out of our radius. So, you know, we had, you know, we basically waited 30 minutes till after the last lightning strike and made sure that everything was out of our 20 mile radius um, and that it had passed us and nothing was incoming. And then we made the announcement to, you know, bring everyone back in the gates and, you know, try to uh, have the, the couple of shows, unfortunately, with whether you sometimes have to cancel shows so we had to cancel blackberry smoke and you know yeah then, yeah, yeah that's was, a that's a damn bummer and i, yeah, I wanted to go there yeah. i wanted to ask you like uh because that was one of my favorite uh bands of the weekend uh, not one of my not necessarily what i thought was going to be the best show but just from a musical standpoint one of my favorites so i was terribly bummed but it was three songs after they went on stage uh, walk me through right about that time. It's six o'clock. They started five minutes early. Actually, they were set for six yeah. fifteen. I looked at my watch because I was trying to meet people. I was like, "Damn it, hurry up! We're gonna miss the show." <laughs> and then I see, "Oh shit, they're starting five minutes early." And then you know, twelve minutes later, the 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 boards come on. Are you? Does the band as they're going on stage? Do the stage hands at that moment? Do they realize, hey, guys, you might only have two or three, or is it really still that decision hasn't been made at that point? It hadn't really been made. They were all on alert. I mean, we were, you know, we communicate with uh, all the artists' teams as well, and so they know what's going on as we're moving through the process. And we communicated with them that, like, hey, there are storms coming, so at some point we could go in to an evacuation shutdown you know we'll, we'll try best not to but you know safety's first so so they it, were fully is, prepared to stop playing they yeah. knew that that was a very very much a possibility yeah they were aware that this there were you know active weather in the area so um yeah so they kind of knew it and then you know we just weren't sure how long that would last and you know after we sat there for a little while we just you know, collectively had to figure out what made the most sense for the rest of the music because we still have to do a changeover on that stage. Yeah. So, 
you know, to be able to give some kind of changeover, to be able to have a set. Nobody wants to do a 30-minute set, and it's unfortunate that BlackBerry couldn't finish, but it was just one of those things where, you know, the, the organizers had to make a decision on what is best here and how do we approach the rest of the evening, knowing that we still had to get everybody in. We could have put them on right at you know, at eight o'clock when we open the game. And nobody would be there. Yeah, but nobody would be there. And what, you know, and then, you know, we knew that it was going to take at least 30 minutes to get everyone back in the venue from outside the venue. So we kind of knew that that was already a situation. So we were already losing, you know, another 30 minutes after gates as well. So we just decided the best thing to do was, was to cancel their set and try to continue on and do less Claypool and, and Trumbone Shorty. And those guys were great. They, really helped us in finding a solution to get everyone a good time. They kind of told us that, you know, this is what we would like to play. And, you know, we can, we can play this at minimum. This is how long our set normally, you know, would take at minimum. So we were able to find a a nice balance there to get everyone in to see, you know, at least the last two artists of the day. Well, overall, it it seems like um, disaster averted. It was a uh, a fun way to end the night. It was a great festival all the way around. Anybody who's knocking on Riverbend just doesn't get it, and they never will. So there's no reason to argue with those people. Um, the new version of the last two years with Chris Cobb and 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 um, Mike Dewar, just buddies of mine that just come to mind and immediately. I know it takes an entire army to put something like this on, but um, I know I was uh, highly impressed. But I, I will say, and there was a lot of people I was around. Of course, they look up and it looks beautiful, right? And they pull up their yeah. own, they pull up their own little crappy weather app, and it shows like some rain in Ultawa or something, right? And they're like, "What yeah. the hell's going on around?" here and and you know you know you're gonna get that and i i was just frustrated because my favorite band just got pulled off the stage i understand this business just enough to know that it's just nothing to get upset about but many people were and it was you you know it's just it's just your first instinct is just to be like damn it man (laughs) this i've been waiting all day for this what are you doing and i know you understand that yeah yeah and as a patron of shows as well i get it so you know, no one wants to cancel a show ever or delay it ever or do a site evacuation. It's not it's not something anyone looks forward to um, doing. And, you know, in this situation, it was very clear why we did it. It was very clear that once the storm moved in, there was lots of lightning visible yeah. all around the site. So everyone understands. But I've also been, you know, I did Bonnaroo several years ago when we canceled because of rain. And then the weekend ended up being beautiful. But the site was so trashed that there's no way they would be able to. Man, I, I go, I go, in and out. I, I, go so, I go every year. I'm going next week. And I remember that very very well it wasn't that long ago and it was yeah. it was one of those just oh my god this is the nicest weather in the history of the world like yeah. what but it made you know it was underwater you know we all understood that but it's just it you you, you can't help it you can't help but sympathize with heartbroken festival goers because it's some of the most loyal fan bases in the country because it's a, even even a festival like riverbend where you or moon river or wherever where you go home every night or Lollapalooza. It, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of sweat equity for the fan base to to do these kinds of events. And when and when that happens, it just it's so deflating. So I understand why people are upset. But from my vantage point, job well done. And I and I believe most people when it was all said and done agreed. Yeah, thanks. And you know, I tell people all the time, come to Riverbend. It's not the same Riverbend you went to as a kid or that you went to as a teenager. It's way different now. It's you know, we're trying to make it uh you know, more cohesive experience and, 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 and more contemporary, kind of, more contemporary, yeah, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely more contemporary and more, you know, up to date. A lot of these bands are playing festivals uh, right now and, you know, we're just very popular bands. And, you know, I tell my friends that, you know, are like, oh, I don't know any of these guys. I'm like, you should come check out these artists. Like, I'm telling you, you're going to find somebody you like. They book this really, really well. Doer and Cobb yeah. do an amazing job at booking these bands. Dude, so, that band yeah. Coin, man, that that is not my wheel. <laughs> that is not my wheelhouse. That is music for like 20-somethings and breakup songs and stuff like that. Holy shit, I loved it. It was so much fun. 
and oh, um, yeah. the lighting and the sound. My God, man, the sound was was so good at that at that stage in particular. So wonderful uh, job on that, man. And I, I just wanted anybody who was just you know still a little frustrated just to make sure to discuss with somebody who might know. And I thought. I think that Justin dude would probably know, and it turns out I, I I barked up the right tree, and I appreciate you answering the call. Yeah, no problem. Sounds great. Anything coming up soon that you're working on? Are you doing any Bonnaroo or any big festivals coming up? You got uh, on the horizon? Yeah, we're doing we're doing Bonnaroo, and then we we actually are doing the Snoop Dogg with Khalifa tour all summer. So that's our next big project that's coming up that we're looking forward to. We leave. Uh, in the end of June and, and go to rehearsals and then we start like July 7th and go all through summer and August so yeah we're, we're super excited about that sounds like a fun summer Justin Casey yeah. the production manager of the uh, stages and, and all production at Riverbend and many other things I'd love to get you on to stretch out and other things not so much related to this maybe another time we can have another long conversation but for now thank you for your time I appreciate it man yeah cool sounds great Justin Casey on the Stone on Air Newsmaker line. And that is all the time I have for today. Thank you so much, guys and gals, for finding the most listened to podcast in the city of Chattanooga, the midweek download destination for thousands for the city and surrounding areas. And I will likely be off for next week in Bonnaroo. And then, uh, of course, you know, I'll recap it and talk a bunch about it and bore the hell out of a lot of you. And maybe something cool will happen between now and then to talk about as well. Y'all have a great next couple of, you know, week and a half or so. We'll do it again very soon. See you later. Bye.